Hi, everyone, and welcome to Academic Dean, where we connect with passionate college leaders who share their stories and viewpoints of higher education, especially lessons learned along the way. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dave Gurchak. Hi, everyone. Today, I'd like to welcome Dr. Robin Kay to our show. Dr. Kay is Dean at Ontario Tech University at Oshawa, Ontario, Canada. Hi, Robin. I'm excited to have you on our podcast today. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me. So tell me about Ontario Tech University. Just, just to let you know, you're the first Canadian university I've had on the podcast, so I'm really excited to have you on the show today. But tell me about Ontario Tech University and why students select your institution. Well, Ontario Tech is a relatively new university, so we're just over 20 years old, which is quite unique, and uh, consequently have a pretty progressive environment that embraces meaningful change and experimentation, which you don't always get at a traditional school. There's a lot of precedent and policies and such, so we have lots of room for creativity. Uh, and obviously, as our name would indicate, we embrace the thoughtful use of technology. But one of our priorities is uh, technology with a conscience, and that has a different face in each faculty. Um, for us, it, in the Faculty of Education, we look at mindful use of technology to uh, evoke, uh, evoke effective change in learning. But we also look at different issues like mental health and um, the impacts of technology and and um, looking at the social issues also uh, associated with that, um, which have also come up in the recent pandemic or the current pandemic. Uh, we also embrace equity and inclusion uh, in our, specifically in our faculty, but also with our university. And we have quite a diverse range of students, which truly brings a number of perspectives in and makes us stronger. And then I would say in our faculty, um, we focus on evidence-based teaching really heavily, and we try to educate thoughtful, well-informed, um, and emphasize socially responsible educational leaders um, who make optimal use of new and emerging technologies, which aligns with our name. So. That's kind of what we're about. I suppose if you talk to another dean, they would have different things to say about the <laughs> university as well. So, well, what's new at your college? Everything. We're only well, we're <laughs> we're twenty years old. So, uh, uh, but it's it's really exciting. Um, and if you're the kind of person who wants to shake things up and experiment and try new stuff, uh, this is the university. That's for students and faculty. Uh, but I'll, I'll give you some ideas about our specific program. We have a doctor of education program, which is fully online, but with virtual classrooms, which is, is somewhat unique. Uh, but we have this interesting approach to a scaffold and community approach to completing your thesis. Often in a doctor program, you complete your courses and then you do your thesis alone with your supervisor. Uh, there may be workshops and seminars and such, but our program is done a bit uh, differently in that each section of the thesis is scaffolded in a course within a course. So you have the cohort giving feedback, you have the advisor giving feedback, you have uh, 
the supervisor giving feedback and and then you also have the instructor who's helping to coach so it gets one of those stumbling blocks that uh, gets at one of those stumbling blocks for any doctor program is completing the thesis you have a lot of abds all but dissertations but not people that complete theses uh, and it's all highly integrated with all the other faculties in the university which is also unique um, so that's one program and then the master's program uh, is is unique it's also uh, operated fully online with virtual classrooms and uh, but we do focus on technology with the content so we have digital technologies within it and um, and pedagogical innovations that would make sense in an, in an education program but we also focus on mental health and technology as well as equity and inclusion those are actually two unique areas that you don't see too often uh, maybe equity and inclusion a little bit more but not mental health oddly enough and it's interesting the virtual approach with the virtual classrooms in our, our community leads to a close to actually it's over a 95 percent graduation rate which is really unusual for online programs yes it is uh yeah i looked huh. in, in north in north america uh, uh the average i looked at the the top ones um many of which come from the United States, and it's about a 55% graduation rate. So um, there's a secret formula involved in there. We do a lot of things, but um, that virtual classrooms approach is unique, and there's reasons for that. But um, then we have a BA in educational studies. It's a hybrid model, so that's it's the the what we're trying to sort out the future of education here, which is this crazy mix of online and face-to-face. -face. Uh, folks were dragged kicking and screaming to the online. Uh, we weren't, but, but many were because it was quite new. Um, and students were too, but then they some got used to it and they thought, well, this is a lot more convenient than, and, and if someone's going to lecture at me, then I might as well do it online. We don't lecture in our program, but um, so we have this uh, program where we're trying to work with both online uh, and face-to-face. -face. And um, we also have a program that helps students uh, upgrade their diplomas um, into fully uh, full degrees. So uh, that's not unique, but it's it certainly helps we see some amazing students in there and people that never thought that they would do something academic. So that's kind of interesting. And then our B.Ed. program, last thing, uh, we're shifting to a mastery approach to, to grading. So there, there will be no grades. Uh, we're working with different kinds of assessments, um, systematic peer assessment, self-assessment, or I guess what's referred to as ungrading. But we're taking a mastery approach uh, and actually walking the walk instead of uh, because a lot of our students uh, are em embrace grades and in, in some ways and it it kind of undermines their learning so that's kind of the the what newness you, of our things the the phrase that you said is is really kind of an interesting phrase which which is technology with a conscious so can, can you tell me what that is what do you mean by that well i guess it's being mindful of when you're using technology and being aware, uh, my background is 
cognitive science, how people learn and, and, and uh, also intersecting with technology. And one can get pretty excited about technology and bring it in at all costs um, because it's sexy and it sells and it looks good, but it doesn't necessarily have an impact. So you, if, if you are being mindful, you're, trying to think about, well, the impact of, of learning and, um, and not spending a whole bunch of money. So having a conscience on what, where are we directing our funds uh, so that it actually is impactful. But, but there's other issues. Uh, mental health, as I mentioned, was one of our themes in our master's. And we have it also in our Bachelor of Education program is looking at the impacts of technology on mental health. And uh, the kinds of issues that arise and they can be both positive and, and negative. Uh, and also looking at equity, inclusion and accessibility, which has come out through the, the pandemic in terms of um, students' accessibility to technology and, and uh, how it actually can, not having that access can hinder their learning, uh, but also looking at the kinds of issues um, I'll give you one that's just come up. It's interesting. Uh, uh, I don't know if you were have participated in Zoom breakout rooms. You probably have. Yeah. Our, our students do that a lot. Uh, we don't lecture, but there's actually a certain degree of of um, maybe oppression's too strong, but but um, different kinds of biases and things that come up within breakout rooms and. Uh, we want to take a close look at that and say, what's happening? What's going on uh, as it can occur in face-to-face in, in -face learning as well. But you look at the impacts of technology and seeing how, how maybe it actually, it could accelerate um, equity or uh, inclusion issues, but it could also um, perhaps prevent them in, in different ways. So, when I say mindful, it's looking at very carefully at how technology impacts us as a faculty, impacts our students, imp impacts our society, and being more aware of it than than just simply uh, saying "let's use technology, it's great, and let's move on." And um, and and there's been a big shift uh, with technology in my my lifetime, where people get pretty excited. Oh, this is a new tool, and then it, it would cost a lot of money, and then it would sit in a closet and in terms uh, in a faculty of education. And, and part of that is businesses, I don't blame them, but they're promoting their products, right? But not really with any kind of uh, foresight into really the impacts. Um, and so those are some examples of, of yeah. what we, what we um, think of that. It's, it's different in engineering, of course, and we look at sustainability and, and those kinds of things. So, well, you know, I, I do want to talk to you about uh, online, but first of all, let's talk about you. Tell me a little bit about yourself and the path that led you to become the dean at Ontario Tech. Yeah. That, uh, I was thinking about this question. <laughs> um, my guess is probably very few academics or professors initially see themselves as deans. They, they fall into that position somewhat surreptitiously. Uh, simply because that wasn't really the intent when they were first um, 
working at a university or a professor and doing research and teaching. So, uh, and in general, <laughs> my observation, I'm not, not sure what your observation is, but academics uh, don't necessarily make the best leaders. Um, they, they've been trained for something else with a different set of skills. So, and, and furthermore, support for educational leaders is limited, possibly because of, there's not a huge market, but uh, it's, it's hard to find. And it, educational leaders are sort of this strange group that are, it's not like in business where you, you know, I've talked to leaders in business and it's like, oh, why don't you just fire this person? Or why don't you just, <laughs> well, you can't do that in academia. Uh, you know, it shocks yeah. people when you tell them that they just can't believe oh, that. It, it, it absolutely shocks. They, yeah. they cannot. And, 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 well, they, you know, and, and so the freedom of faculty all for good reasons uh, is such that, you know, you're any Dean that wants to be dominating or, or, or sort of being that, not that that's a good leadership style, but, uh, it's just not going to work. You're you're a servant, and you try to try to try to maximize the potential of your faculty. So, uh, with all that said, I I never wanted to be dean. I watched deans. Um, I I remember my first dean, who was who was lovely. Uh, when he re retired from being dean or stepped down from being dean, I spoke, um, at uh, the reception was there and uh, he came up to me afterwards and said, ah, I can see a future Dean here. And uh, I looked at him in horror. I just thought, no, I, 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 that's absolutely what I don't want to be. Um, but slowly it's like little steps. I started with um, graduate studies in our faculty and um, I knew I didn't really want to just manage things because that's not that much fun. I wanted to build and improve and I was in the right place. And I really helped build our master's of education program. I think it was probably maybe 80 students at the time or um, I think we're well over 250 now. Um, it was overwhelming, but it was really exciting building. Uh, it really is something from the ground, you know, the grassroots. So that kind of hooked me in. And then I shifted to our teacher education program, or we call it a Bachelor of Education, and I was the director there for a while. And I got excited about that and the kinds of things that could be could be done. And so I was, and I'd been in these roles for probably five to six years. And then the dean's position opened up unexpectedly. So I was an interim dean and uh, again, got the bug about uh, there was lots to to fix in the faculty. And I thought, well, there's lots of things, you know, it, if you get a brand new house and everything's, it's perfect. Then it's, I don't think it's that much fun being uh, uh, a Dean. You just sort of, okay, I just do things. Whereas you get uh, kind of a fixer upper, it's, it's a lot more fun. And uh, so I focused on those aspects, but I don't think I ever anticipated the, <laughs> the challenges that, that uh, emerged and I certainly didn't anticipate the pandemic, which just came up about eight months after I started. So uh, that was, that was my path. Uh, I didn't go in kicking and screaming or anything. I slowly foot in the door, kept kind of surreptitiously cut into the role and, and um, felt I could make a difference, I guess. Uh, I think it's, you know, being a small fish in a, or a medium fish in a small pond, it, it's a lot easier too. So, 
Yeah, that that transition from faculty to anything is always kind of tough. How did you cope yeah. with that? Where you where you leave, you know, where you leave your students or your research and turn into yeah, that person. It, you're right. That is it is tough. Um, I I kept my research by being more of a consultant and a mentor to uh, graduate students and faculty. So I was still able to do lots of good things, but not spend the time that I normally would with, with research. I do, you know, I definitely miss the teaching. Um, I've done, you know, I, I work with graduate students and, and do some coaching and again, help faculty, but yeah, I, I miss that a lot. So that, that was, that was definitely tricky. Um, uh, and, 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 you know, honestly, I do miss it. That's what I was, um, built to to do but uh on the other hand i think i've done some i think i've done some pretty strong things i've mentioned some of those new things that that's come about within my term those those um changes and and uh it's exciting when you can kind of turn a faculty around and build it and and uh, so i i hang on those things that you know you focus on the positive and then I, I love learning. So I'm learning more about leadership and really looking at it. I wouldn't say academically, but trying to dig a little more deeper into it and and uh, figure out how to be a good leader as opposed to just someone who's filling a spot. You know. Sure. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, what's been your proudest moment so far at the university? Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Uh... Lots of little things. Um, I, I I do love uh, my initial career with teaching future teachers because I was an educator before in, in high school and, and uh, at the college. Ours is community college level. I know you have college and universities sort of interchangeable um, in the U.S. But uh, so it was really nice to have an impact because knowing that I could impact someone who's could have a really amazing impact on the students. So that reality was pretty exciting and, uh, you know, put my heart and soul into it. So that was exciting when, and, 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 uh, I'm proud of, of the, the teachers that, um, a lot of the teacher candidates that we've graduated, uh, definitely inspiring current teachers through conferences and, and, um, some of the research not not presented as research, but more as evidence and guiding and and uh, seeing that impact there. Um, I'm quite quite proud of my uh, research record and the papers I've published and um, the writer I've de developed into and and uh, not that I'm um, remarkable or exceptional, but I'm I'm very. I'm proud of every time I, I publish something. I feel pretty, sure. pretty happy, happy yeah. about that. Uh, quite proud about building and designing and promoting new programs. All, all those things, building new programs, helping design, make them better, improving the quality, and then promoting them. And I've done that um, with two of our major programs, the graduate and then the undergraduate. And uh, it's, it's exciting because it creates an energy and uh, I think it, it, um, 
you feel feel like you're making some sort of a difference so that that uh and then i guess becoming a full professor that was uh uh that's that was, always a that big was, that's yeah, always a big a, one yeah it it's nice it, i mean it's nice to have the 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 title i guess or whatever the recognition but what's really it is the process of doing you realize oh wow <laughs> I, I i did a lot I didn't realize I had done all that. So, so that's exciting. Yeah. And you have to be really good at self promotion when you do those things because, because nobody you, will do that for you. You, you do. Uh, but I, fortunately I'd actually had some, something to some foundation there and, and some, some data or meat that I could actually, yep. uh, you know, it, it's a harder thing when you have to <laughs> have to tell a story, you know, when you, may not have the goods. So, yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I look back and I remember throughout either getting tenure, or all my promotions is that's still one of the, I, in fact, I still have my books that I've submitted with all that stuff. I still have those because it, yeah. that was our really proud moments for faculty moving forward. Um, yeah. Yeah. What's um, what's been some of the biggest lessons you've learned so far as an academic leader? Yeah, I'm still learning. Uh, <laughs> Good answer. Well, le learning how to listen is extremely important. I think any any progressive leader would say that. And uh, it's really important for a couple of reasons, obviously, to understand, well, in all facets of life, but to understand what someone else's perspective is or a number of people's perspectives, but also to pause and be reflective and give yourself time too, because you're not always hearing wonderful things. And uh, often when, when issues or problems come to me, uh, they're not at the sort of lower level stage. They usually have gone through a number of cycles and then come to me and, and sort of it's not a catastrophe or anything, but it, but it's something high level. And so you have to give yourself time to, to understand what's going on. So listening is really, really important. Um, the other thing I get related to that is embracing new ideas and collaboration. I, I have to admit early on in my career, I, I was quite successful on my own. I was a bit of a lone wolf. I, I know collaboration was sort of convincing other people of your ideas. And what I've realized is a lot of people in our faculty, a lot of people in general have really good ideas in academia. And it's important to take time to listen to that and repeatedly as my in my tenure as dean is is when i've consulted with faculty which i do a lot i've learned a lot and whatever my initial ideas were have been improved by the feedback and so that collaborative uh, aspect of um, decision making and developing things and such uh has worked really really well for me so uh, the other thing, which I didn't have too much of issue doing, but but you really have to remind yourself is you, you, is you really have to drop your ego. Uh, so being a leader, at least for me, is about building the potential of my faculty. It's, it's not about me. It's not my legacy. It's not what I'm. Uh, I'm I'm proud of things that I've helped do, but I've worked with with folks and. Uh, as soon as I make it about me, then then it gets it gets a bit weird and I don't do that very often. So 
Um, and that goes with both taking, not taking things personally, right. um, even, even if it feels personal, but, but, but it's sort of like, okay, people have their stuff and, and cause my ego can get really kind of in the way. And again, it's probably general advice, but yeah, no, those uh, are good points. Um, being open to feedback, um, is a big thing that I've, I've learned. And I, I think I've always been open to it, but, uh, sometimes it's not that positive. I mean, you might not enjoy it at first. Um, but if you pause and again, go back to listening and sort of try to understand what's going on, I might get reactive at first, but then if I just pause and, and think or reflect for a while, uh, I understand better maybe what, what is happening and, uh, it's kind of a gift when people give you feedback too, uh, especially as a leader, because there might be a tendency, which we never know, people to talk behind your back. And 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 so I'd rather have straight feedback. So uh, the other thing which is interesting um, is I've learned the systems-based perspective and what I call bubbles of awareness. So when I first came in as assistant professor, I had my little bubble of awareness of what was going on. And it was really my class and my research and not much else. So I didn't understand what was going on in terms of directors or what was going on in terms of the dean or whatever. I just didn't really want to be that. So I was in my little bubble and had my little injustices within the bubble. It's like, why can't we have this? And why can't we have all those things? And then as a director, I started, my bubble was sort of a bigger and I, and I understood, oh, okay, that's why that happened. Okay, I, I understand that. But I didn't really understand the, the bigger picture from that. And so, and now I've moved to the Dean bubble. And, and so I understand bigger issues and why we can't just decrease class sizes to, <laughs> to whatever faculty would like and, uh, why we can't hire five more faculty members and such because there's a budget and we need to balance that budget. And uh, and so you start to learn and just how people behave at a, at a senior academic level, uh, which is quite different. And um, so those, there's, those are sort of interesting awarenesses. And I guess the last one, which is, should be an up, but it's is leadership can, can be kind of lonely actually. Um, because you you can't be tight knit friends really with with um, faculty in in a way. I mean, maybe you can, but I, I've I've it's a fine line. Uh, and I I I was actually promoted within my faculty, so I had lots of connections within the faculty. But they had to be slightly different when I was the dean because I couldn't. I can't share information and I can't, you know, there's all kinds of things I can't do. So, uh, you know, if you're a Dean with integrity, you have to keep, keep the vault closed. Right. And so then, then you have to deal with a lot of things on your own. And, uh, so, yeah, those, those are really good points. I, I like the bubbles of awareness because I agree it's as you move up your, the bubble sure changes. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure there's clearly bubbles at the provost level or <laughs> the president level, which I don't, you know, I'm grumbling. I can't believe they're doing that. You know, but, but I've hit, I've hit my distance from students. Dean is as far as I, I would ever want to get away from my students. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I agree on, I agree on that. I, I think that next time to provost, because at least as a Dean, you're still, you still yeah. have a pretty, but at the, that provost, uh, now you got a bunch of bubbles coming at you. So. Yeah. Oh you don't goodness. even have it. 
you don't even have your your faculty team, right? Right. You're, you're, yeah. You know that's here. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, what do you think are the major challenges uh, for the, for universities, and really even for your specific university, over the next five years? Yeah, that's a big question. Uh, I'm not I'm not overly good at predictions, I have to say. Yeah, but uh, I'll, I'll give my best. I mean, obviously, funding is always a challenge, uh, and particularly so in our province, um, because there's, uh, uh, I would say, as a more conservative government that doesn't necessarily put education at the top and understand, you know, I don't, their bubble, they obviously, education is the only thing. There's obviously health and all those sorts of issues, but there's been a freeze. Uh, there was, in my, my tenure as dean, there was a 10% drop so all all tuition was cut 10% by the government, which had a huge impact on the university. And it's been frozen for, for uh, three years. And so <laughs> you can imagine uh, salaries don't go down and things like that. So, so yeah. funding is, is uh, you have to be quite creative about that. Uh, that's probably a given. I think anybody would say that the format of teaching is definitely, I mentioned that a little bit about, the dance between online face-to-face -face and, and this sort of unusual um, or some sort of unusual mix or hybrid approach or hyperflex where you're teaching and mm -hmm. you're also, there's people are tuning in and uh, you can see that's in our, within our university, I imagine with, with many places of business, it's hard to figure out what makes sense how does this work even with our staff right you know um so um that the format of teaching is going to be some play around with that and and we're, we're excited to try that with our four-year program um to see the combination of what students enjoy or do not enjoy and when i say online i don't mean and I, maybe you get a chance to talk about it later but uh you know, there's, there's just like, as there's poor face-to-face -face teaching, there's, there's poor online teaching and, and many people were thrown into situations where they weren't trained to do it. And uh, so maybe better online teaching, I would imagine, I hope, but education's pretty, pretty rigid, I guess. And the, the, the hugging of lectures or the, 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 the foundation of being of using lectures holds deeply and has for many years so hopefully that will change um i think competition from what we call uh community colleges i, I i'm not sure if you use the same term in the, in the mm -hmm. u.s but yeah. um we're now be given now given or starting to be given degree granting um rights and and for certain areas uh, and clearly seem more relevant to a lot of students. There's for universities. There's there's definitely a um, something they should be looking at. I would think, uh, and that's related to also staying relevant. Um, if 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 we don't make shifts in our teaching and assessment, uh, which are both in many respects in a lot of faculties, I wouldn't say in education, but uh, are are really archaic. Yeah. Uh, we're going to start and um, we are losing. I mean, there's so many options for students. And, right. and if, if you think that lecturing in front of somebody for even an hour, 
but I imagine we both went, we, I went to three hour lectures, right? We, uh, uh, it's not going to work. It's not. And, yeah. and the same with this excessive, this, the, the exam kinds of assessments, they're just meaningless to students. And now they, they're waking up to this and they're, well, it, I can't, I mean, there's definitely a more client oriented <laughs> approach to businesses. Now, when I was a student, uh, I didn't have, I would never even think of going to my professor and, and challenging things like that. And that's definitely changed. Um, and, and that I think hopefully will lead to improving pedagogy and, and, and teaching. That's always the, the eternal hope of a faculty of education uh, uh, professor, but uh, you know, there are the things that they have changed for sure. Uh, certainly our use of technology, we didn't have a choice. Uh, even the Luddites had to shift. And so that, that much has changed. I don't know where that will lead us, but those are some of the softball changes. I, I don't know, or, or challenges. I think that universities will have to address, um, you know, I started I started my podcast. Like I said, I I retired right when the pa pandemic was starting. I remember that was first couple of months as a dean going up to people and telling them we need to move your stuff online. They're looking at you like it's um it's impossible yeah, to move it I mean, online. And yeah. then of course two weeks later, it's not yeah. impossible. And now some faculty, the the naysayers really seem to like it. Um, yep. Yeah. But but the thing that's been really interesting to me when it comes to online is I've noticed my guest from three years ago till today, it even, even administration has a different viewpoint of online. And so now I hear words like, who oh, are virtual online and we're trying to learn things from gaming to bring into the classroom, right. you know? And it's like, wow, I would have never thought yeah. Uh, yeah. people would be any, any administrator would be saying words like that. So, well, let me let me tell you a, a brief funny story here. We we started online. We were we were the faculty of education was leaders in online, um, and we've been doing it since uh, two thousand and nine. And uh, we were considered a bit, you know, the oddball. Uh, and when the pandemic came, well, prior to the pandemic, we actually were asking, well, can we? some of our folks do some of these meetings and, you know, the excessive service meetings online um, and, you know, with a virtual format. And I was like, Oh no, you can't do, it. you have to be in person. You you can't possibly have virtual meetings to do. We have to see people face to face, you know? <laughs> okay. And then, so we, we knew that wasn't right, but then the pandemic hit. And then initially, uh, hired men, we, we started to meet on the telephone of all things and, and, and you know, Ontario Tech University and, you know, having a conference call with 18 people made no sense. And so begrudgingly, <laughs> they switched to, you know, a virtual, I think it was Google Meet or Zoom or whatever. And, and now that's the dominant thing within two years. So it, you know, you're right. It, it surprises here that, but it was forced. We didn't have a choice. That's the only way you would have actually had it right. happen, right? And because yeah. faculties would have gone on strike. You can't make us do that. You, you, you know, but right. it's like, guess what? We have to. You know, so you know. No, that's yeah. a really good point. And and the thing when you talk about uh, some of the faculty pushback on that is when I've talked to some of the academic leaders. They they admit, you know, 
if you want to say one good thing that came out of the pandemic, it did make us accelerate to move forward on on how to be better educators. Uh, yeah, and I think it definitely was almost a, a maybe it's exaggerating to say a paradigm shift, but certainly a major shift in um, using technology and feeling comfortable with technology. Folks that I never thought would be using technology started to adapt. They, you know, is necessity, right? The mother of right. invention, and 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 uh, and as you say, almost some shifted to. I actually want to do this, so so it was. Uh, you know, it was, it was. It's nice to see those kinds of changes. Yeah, yeah, me too. I, I'm, you know, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm done now. I'm not, I'm, I'm not yeah. playing Dean anymore. But for you, I think it's you got a, a, some years ahead of you. This is going to be an exciting time. I think. Yeah, it 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 has been an exciting time, and uh, I embrace it. I mean, I, I was always someone who wanted to try new things. I I I was creating instructional videos before YouTube started, you know, so <laughs> uh, with different kinds of software and stuff like it. So I, you know, I, I like trying new things and and seeing, you know, what impacts they can have. So yeah. it it's yeah. yeah, definitely exciting. Cool. Well. You know, I'm going to use the word non-traditional, and and what I mean by that is, you know, students over the age of 25. I think anymore now when I say non-traditional, we, we're seeing older adults come back to college. But anyway, uh, it seems like non-traditional students sometimes struggle more at colleges and universities. So, are you guys doing anything specific to help that specific student population kind of transition better into the university systems? Yeah, oddly enough, we are doing some things uh, and and trying some new things with our specific uh, faculty and the faculty of education. I mentioned before we have these pathway uh, programs that allow um, students who initially wanted to do something very practical in a diploma. Um, particularly say early childhood education, for example, or there are different areas where they needed a diploma to do a job, which they probably weren't, well, definitely weren't paying, paid a lot of money to do, um, but didn't embrace the sort of academic nature of university. Uh, we are now seeing rapid growth in one of our programs, uh, the BA in Educational Studies, where they shifted from, you know, what, what happens is they get they get credit for their two-year diploma, and then they uh, do an online virtual classes with us, and in in a very highly engaging and relevant um, setting, and within two years or a little bit more, they can work and and upgrade their uh, diploma to university degree, and then move on to actually. A bachelor of education we have a, a different kind of a system we have to have a four-year degree and then you can do your bachelor of education mm -hmm. and that's been so exciting for anybody who's taught in the programs because we get very non-traditional students um who uh for on all sorts of all walks of life who suddenly get excited about learning and it wasn't their number one thing before, at least in, in a classroom, uh, for all sorts of good reasons. Because I think if you look at any high school curriculum, uh, uh, 
uh, it depends on on the the teacher, or whatever. But it is often fairly rigid and prescriptive, and you have to do this, and here's tests and stuff like that. That's not that much fun. Um, so, and then we also within our program, faculty of education, we don't use exams or, or tests. We there's lots of different varieties of assessment and such, which which really um, is exciting for the non traditional students. Exciting for all students, but. They don't see learning as a series of tests that they have to memorize things and such because that's how they remembered it. We also offer bridging programs. So students that may not have been successful in undergraduate degrees, I say bridging from an undergraduate to a master's, uh, we don't want it to be a life sentence that they didn't get this GPA and therefore thou shalt never get into any master's program. We have uh, bridging programs where they, they can try uh, some courses to see if they can be successful. Uh, 99% are um, simply because they've had 10 to 15 years experience of being an adult and learning all kinds of things and they're intentional learners and they're very good at it. So um, it's kind of exciting for those students. And then I think the other initiative, which is more the university ones is, is that when there are, we're flagging students very quickly early on when they're 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 struggling, and um, or or even when they want to enter the pro our, our university, and there are dedicated programs to offer uh, that we offer that help scaffold students to succeed. They're they're um, they don't cost a lot of money, but there's they're um, designed to help students become better at being students. Um, and so um, that's kind of, those are kind of the things that we do. Well, that seems exciting. Um, let me ask you a question about um, mental health. So, you know, I we've watched in the United States, mental health become a, a big issue for our, for on campuses here, both colleges and universities for both faculty and staff. So are you guys doing anything to, to help improve or at least tackle some of the mental health issues of our students and also our faculty? Yeah, that, that's a, a big issue. And I would say one that's um, overwhelming a lot of universities. Uh, I don't, we're not there yet. I don't think. Quite honestly. I don't think anybody's there. I mean, it's, yeah. that just seems to be a big issue for sure. I think it's, 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 compounded by the pandemic and i think folks are really really overwhelmed and and so all of a sudden the number of issues has has multiplied so definitely there's a focus on adding more resources and more supports for students and and quick supports for students so i think we do that well uh, so students have a place to go very quickly to to uh, get, receive some counseling or guidance or um, there's definitely a lot of um, sensitivity to these issues in terms of flexibility of assignments and when they're handed in and that sort of thing. Um, those are small things, but they do make a difference for uh, for students. I, I, I wish I were more qualified to give you a, a more fulsome answer. I know within the faculty of education, we're building mental health right integrated within the program. So, for example... Oh, really? our, our future teachers, um, there's actually a mental health course. Um, 
and they receive a mental health first aid certificate uh, in in um, teaching, and which is kind of cool. You think of a first aid certificate, but a mental health first aid certificate is, uh, and so it puts it front and center uh, in teacher education. I think we're one of the only programs that does that in in Ontario. And then now we have a mental health stream in our master's program. I've looked across Canada. I'm sure in the States there's a number of these things, but mental health and education in the cross-section, obviously with technology as well, it it it, it is not a uh, an area of focus. And so we're we're bringing that about. And, and we've, we've learned that actually by getting feedback from our students because when we offer these mental health courses as uh, special topics, they're full, they're packed. Um, and so it's clear that there's a need for this. And um, so, but, you know, a lot more could be done for sure. Uh, we're just trying to negotiate and figure this out because as you know, there's also sustainability and there's equity, diversity, and inclusion, and there's just a number of things that, you know, I'd love to do it all. Um, I, I always, it's, it's interesting in, in, in uh, Bachelor of Education programs, everybody argues that their course, we have a, a one and a half year program that their courses should be first. And, and I jokingly say, so we really should have a program. We have 20 courses the first semester and then they go out to, right. uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's because everything should be first. And so you have to be, um, but I, I, uh, I think we have a long ways to go here, quite yeah. honestly, um, even as a society. And I think it actually should be built into, uh, K to 12 education. Um, yeah. I, I firmly believe that it's, it's building those tools from an early age, you know, to, help deal with some of the challenges that are going on. Lots of challenges. Well, here's a fun question. If you had extra budget money right <laughs> now, no strings attached, how would you spend it? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I would consult with my faculty for sure, because I'm sure there's <laughs> lots of things that they would like. And, and then since there's still, uh, there's, you know, if there's lots of extra budget money and no strings and, um, you didn't say how much extra budget, so I guess I could assume a lot. Uh, I would, uh, some of the things, I would focus on uh, equity inclusion scholarships for sure um, to try to to uh, definitely balance out. We've worked hard as a faculty to make sure that our teachers are representative of the populations they teach, for example. So, um, but it's not always easy uh, for uh, marginalized populations to enter um, academia. So uh, a, an easy fix would be to increase the number of full-time teaching faculty. Uh, we, <laughs> faculty of education are notoriously thin on uh, full-time teaching faculty. And so we have a lot of sessional instructors, uh, but doesn't that doesn't create a lot of cohesion. We've actually worked at that. So we do have a number of full-time teaching faculty, but I would increase that. Uh, I would work certainly to reduce class size, uh, but I'm wondering where this budget, if it's a continuous budget, because you have to, you have to maintain that. Um, I probably provide course releases for program development and improvement in quality. Um, again, maybe not, you know, I'm focusing on the more, uh, what I think will have, bigger impact as opposed to, I could say, you know, bringing all sorts of technology and 
developing the classrooms of the future and such, but I'm not sure that would actually have any impact. It might, it might look good on paper, but uh, it's always been the pedagogy. It's always been um, the teaching strategies and such that work in education. Uh, I'd probably bring in uh, equity, diversity, inclusion, education expert, um, also with indigenous studies and such um, to, to, build a sort of systemic and true change. Lots of people talk talk the talk, but it's just a lot harder to walk the walk. And so, um, and then I maybe with consult, consulting with faculty is uh, develop special projects fund for, for new initiatives, new um, that would probably be linked to some sort of research. So um, as, as I go over that and look at that, I, I just think, well, yeah, that's, that's rather, that's an academic's response, you know, as opposed to, <laughs> it's like, there's well, a lot of money here. So, but, uh, but yeah. I think it's, I think that's a great response. I, I'm, I'm impressed with some of your ideas there. Here's my last question. Um, do you have any favorite books on leadership that you would recommend to other academic leaders? Yeah, some more traditional, some not. I have to say I have probably 20 books. Um, and for some reason, I believe by osmosis that that information will come to me. Uh, <laughs> it, finding time to read is is my, uh, you probably uh, the last thing you thought of when you're Dean, uh, when you're in your day is like, you know what, I'm just going to take an hour and read. Uh, it, it, you're it doesn't usually happen, but when I do, and I'm making more more a habit of this, the the classic seven habits of highly effective people. Um, I'm rereading that actually, and it's it's uh, that would just that's just for people in general, but I think it's it's a pretty important book by Stephen Covey. Uh, I I quite enjoyed uh, Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. Mm -hmm. That aligns. That a good one, yeah. That aligns with my kind of approach. Um. The Lost Art of Listening. I mentioned listening before, and uh, I think we need uh, it. That was a helpful book for me to, to think about it. Um, the Truth About Leadership is a book I did get through, um, which was quite helpful. I, I, I think it's maybe a little pretentious to say this is the truth about leadership, but there's a lot of good good insights there. And then oddly enough, the book that I that's guided me, but is is the four agreements um mm. which which really helps um it's leadership but it's it's life and and uh so i found that book to be very helpful uh but stay tuned there'll be other books that i i will be i i have a lot of books that are i've read the first chapter um so <laughs> uh so that I don't know if that counts as reading the books. I, I'm giving you books that I've actually read. So, <laughs> well, that's a that's a that's a nice way to to end our show. <laughs> Robin, thanks so much for being on our podcast today. I really enjoyed our conversation. My pleasure, Dave. Well, that wraps up today's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for listening to today's episode and make sure to visit our website at academicdean.com for additional information. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.